Amen. You may open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Uh, I know that uh, sometimes I tend to go late, and some of y'all get finished before I do, and I understand. Uh, it's not going to be my, it's never my intent and my purpose, and it's not mine today, so hopefully we'll be done on time, but there's a lot to say. Would y'all say that, um, I, I know there's exceptions to what I'm about to say, so I don't really know how to ask it, but would you say that overall America's intentions are good as a nation? Okay, overall I would say so. And when we, when, when we send even our best fighters to go do something, hopefully it's for an ultimate good, even though a lot of bad has to happen. Would you say that? Yeah, I, I would just, uh, today we're, we're going to be looking at light and darkness. And I, I was thinking about some of our special warriors that, that uh, when they do an operation, they usually do it at night. Well, for some obvious reasons. One is nobody can see them. And in fact, you think that, uh, you know, of course, we got a lot of technology now with uh, uh, night vision goggles, we call it NVGs, but, but, uh, but they don't ever use a flashlight. They never get any light because they said it ruins your eyesight. They'd rather get used to the dark to be able to see. But if America is good and their cause is good, they're having to do bad things in the cover of night for light, for the cause of light. Yeah, and so they have to operate in darks. Another reason you do that is because the human body, no matter what shift you work or when you sleep between 2 and 4 in the morning, is way depressed. It's hard for the body to function, so that's when they're going to hit you when you're most down. That's how we beat Santa Ana. We hit him during nap time in the afternoon because we knew they were taking a siesta. Just read history. You could learn all kinds of cool things. The Bible says that we are soldiers of the light. And in a sense, don't we live in a dark world? We live in a world of night, right? But we're not called to fight this world with its own weapons. Doesn't the Bible say that? It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but spiritual. To the effect of tearing down strongholds and, 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 and destroying every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God. It's in Corinthians. Y'all with me? Well, don't just read history. Read your Bible. Y'all with me? Okay, good, good, good. I need you with me. And so today we come to a passage that lets us know that we used to be in darkness, but now we're in the light and that we ought to behave as if we're in the light. But we have to operate in darkness because we live in a dark world. But we can't become part of the darkness. We have to operate as children of the light. And so I want you to see that. Last week I mentioned what I call the sin tree and and, uh, and, and so they put it in the bulletin this week, and you see it there. And I want to make sure you understand. Um, I think on that, that chart, um, it's labeled, I believe it's a contact problem, is, is way out. What's the matter? My collar's messed up. Okay. You both so bad? Well, I can fix that. <laughs> ah, there. Now it's not so bad. This collar is too limp. It wouldn't cover the tie in the back. It was bothering my wife. So... Um, <laughs> Got a problem? Solve it. Um, anyway, in that century, I think it's called a contact problem. And that is, a guy can't show up for work because he's too drunk. 
oh man, this guy's got a problem with alcohol. And so we look at that and then we see the performance problem, which are the foes five branches I talked about last week, whether it be a sexual sin, an indulgent appetite, a bad, I mean, a, 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 a wrong religion, an, a, a bad attitude, an indulgence, an appetite. And in Ephesians, we see this greed, this covetousness. And, but, but here's what I want you to get because I talked about that and everybody kind of focused on that. But what has to happen when we repent, we don't repent of what's in the performance problem because the performance is an indication of what your root is. And the root can be imposed. That is, somebody started you on that. Um, I, I knew guys that used to do drugs with their parents when they were eight years old, lived under a bridge and did drugs. That's what his parents taught him to do. He's a preacher today, by the way. I knew a guy that only went to school to sell drugs until he went to seminary, to Bible college, actually. And uh, only reason he ever went to only reason he ever went to school was just sell drugs. He never learned anything. And the boy was so smart, he took a test and entered college, Bible college. And he's a pastor today too. So God can really change some stuff, can't they? Those are imposed problems. I, I also know some guys who made some bad decisions. Those are voluntary roots. Where we just decide, hey, I'm going to try this, and once you try it, you like it, and you keep going. I mean, I'm Scott Irish. That's the reason I've never taken a drink of alcohol on purpose in my life. Because if I like it, I ain't going to quit. So I just don't take it. You say, now, come on, you don't know that. You're right, I don't know that, and I'm not going to find out. Because I don't want to become a drunk, which the Bible says don't be a drunk. So I don't want to be one. So when you repent, you got to repent at the root you say, but yeah, they did that to me. Yeah, I know what they did to you, but you kept going. You continued it. And so you've got to go back and say, Lord, instead of trusting in your power to change, I trusted in this to relieve my pain, and I stayed with that. And if you repent at the root, the performance takes care of itself, and you don't have to try to reform somebody from whatever wrong thing it might be up top. Today, we come to the next passage in Ephesians, and when we were talking about that last week, it's because Paul was contrasting the end of chapter 4 where he tells us, and the beginning of chapter 5 where he tells us that God is love and that we ought to love the brethren and that we ought to imitate God in love. And then he says, but this is a counterfeit to God's love, Satan's love. Today, in this passage... We're going to see both the light and the darkness. That's okay. Babies cry. Mama knows what to do. And I'm louder than most babies. So, that's cool. And so, so, today we're going to see the difference between light and darkness. And the fact is that we're in the light and we ought to behave like children in the light. And when we don't behave like children in the light, we look like we're still in the darkness. So, we're going to look at that really fast. So, if you want to stand with me. And we're going to start in chapter uh, 8 and go through chapter 5, verse 8, and go through verse 14. And by the way, even if I go late today, you want to stay to the very end, even after I'm done, okay? It's something important. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of, uh, of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is so quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to the asunder of joints and marrow of, 
and soul and spirit, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our heart. So God, may your word see our hearts today, and may your word bring in that sharp sword, that scalpel of God that can separate out and show us uh, even our motives. And we pray, God, that you would help us then to turn to you and to be even more in the light, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just prayed that. I'm not sure you can be more in the light. So Paul showed us how to imitate God in love, and that's the genuine, and we saw the counterfeit. And, and, and here's what I want, I want you to, to see, that God is light and love. Now, there's many things the Bible says that God possesses, but it only says two things that he is. In uh, 1 John 4, 7, and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Now, remember, our definition of love is not to please ourselves, but it is self-sacrifice, self-denial, in order that I might give myself to the one love for their sake, seeking nothing in return. Now, that's a man definition, but let me give you an example of what it's based in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, self-denial in order to give himself away. For their sake, that whoever believes in his name should not perish, but have everlasting life, seeking nothing in return. See? So that's love. Love is not when I'm happy. Love is when I make somebody else happy. All right? So if you don't love that way, if you love selfishly, trying to meet your own needs, that's not from God. You don't even know God because God is love. But the Bible also says that God is light. In 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him, listen to this, is no darkness at all. He is the source of light. He is light. The Bible says he's clothed in light. Do you understand that a, a, a candle or a light bulb casts a shadow of itself? But God is of such a pure light, he doesn't even cast a shadow. In James 1, it says, if every good gift, every perfect gift is from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness nor shifting shadow. There's not even a shadow in God. He's so pure in his light. There's a problem with light. We still don't know what it is. It's both a wave and a particle. They have figured out how to combine two blue particles of light. We haven't quite done it to the effect of having a lightsaber, but we're getting closer. And the reason we enjoy that is because you go, you know, I bet we could do that if we could just figure it out. And the point is we might be able to. Light is a weird thing that God put on earth. So is water. We just don't think about it. But I can't get into all that. That's for the science sermon one day. But anyway, so light is, has these properties that we don't even understand. But yet the Bible says God is light. Okay? And so... Some people would say that light is the absence of darkness, and that'd be true, and darkness is the absence of light, and that'd be true. But, but science is still trying to figure it out. But when the Bible uses this term of light, it uses it two ways, intellectually and morally. In other words, if I don't know something, which we call ignorance, and I don't mean that derogatory, all right, I am ignorant about more than I am knowledgeable about. And everyone in this room is knowledgeable about something I'm ignorant of, Okay? So those are just some official terms we're using. I'm not calling anybody names. And the Bible says in a lecture as a Christian, I should not be ignorant of Satan's schemes. I should not be ignorant of the ways of God. I don't know how Satan works, what God desires for me, and I ought to follow God's will, right? 
So it speaks of it intellectually, but also speaks of it morally. Morally refers to the ways I think and act. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is, is, uh, is knowledge, just in, in case you, you uh, need some reference there. In 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So Satan is blinding people so they cannot see light. There are individuals in, in our congregation that do not have physical sight. They cannot discern light. My niece is legally blind. She'll never be able to drive a car or anything like that. All she sees are blobs of light. That's all she can see. She's a lawyer. She got a law degree here, went to England, had the South Carolina Supreme Court uh, petition England so that she could go to England, and now she's a lawyer in England. Yeah, she's that smart, but she can't see. But she can't see physically. And, and so uh, the Bible tells us that the God of this world wants to blind lost people's eyes lest they see clearly the light of the gospel and what it means. So that's when it, it is speaking uh, intellectually but morally in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. I know we're going Old Testament on you. Some of y'all don't believe the Old Testament's still in the Bible. I didn't hear any pages turning. I hope you're writing that down. Isaiah 5.20. I wouldn't trust me if I were you. You ought to be looking at this. 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Hmm. Sounds like the news. Well, we've, we're enlightened. We're, we've evolved. I had a lady on the phone. I, I said something mean, and I meant it. And I told everybody I meant it. And they could tell anybody they wanted I said it. Because this church allowed demons to enter and do something wrong. And so I said so. So a lady called me. And she said on the phone to me, after a pleasant conversation, we weren't yelling at each other, but she suddenly said, well, I know Paul said this, but we've evolved since then. I said, ma'am, stop, because what you just uttered is the damnable heresy. You see, when you go contrary to the Word of God, which reveals the light, damnable means it deserves hell, and it was a heresy. It was wrong theology against God. And God expects us to be intellectually right and morally right and Isaiah says woe to him who calls good evil and evil good and and and, and look at Romans 13 12 if you don't turn anywhere else turn to Romans 13 12 I promise we'll settle down back in Ephesians in just a second but uh, one of the one of the classes I they made me take in seminary because I couldn't take just the ones I wanted I took a bunch of extra hours because I took all the ones I wanted plus ones that made me take but and I, we had to translate the book of Romans. This is one I, I struggled with because I wasn't good at all this. But look what it says. And, and by the way, I was reading my King James back then. It doesn't say it this way in the King James. This, this, this one gets it right. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off, repent, cast off the works of darkness, sentry, cast off, but look at this, and put on the armor of light. Light is our weapon. We do have lightsabers, just not physically. That word armor could be weapons. Pick up the weapons of light. 
This is how we are to fight. We are to fight using God's light and God's uh, revelation. So the follower of Christ follows in both in light, both intellectually and morally. In 1 John 5 that I read, um, it, it tells us that. It says, it goes on to say, if, if this is the message we heard from him, proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. I don't care if you say you're a Christian. If you're living a sinful life, knowingly, willingly, and refuse to repent, the Bible says you are in darkness. And you better check what you think is your experience with God. Because the child of the light acts like he's in the light. And here's the deal. You saying that you're perfect? No. I promise you. There was a Facebook test the other day, and you got like... 10 points for everything you'd ever done. It was a bunch of bad stuff. And the total was like 140. And I saw, you know, people I went to high school with, that's who did it. And, and some scores were like 40, you know, 60. Mine was 90. And this girl wrote and said, that's not the steward I remember. And I said, then you didn't know me very well, did you? And all of a sudden, fall short of the glory of God. I said, it could be hired, but I wasn't technically arrested or booked. I could have added 20 more points to that because I was detained, but I was not arrested. <laughs> so no, I'm not coming at you like I'm some big shot because I'm not. But here's the difference. Was David a man after God's own heart? Did David sin willfully, knowingly, and almost joyfully? What happened when the prophet came and stuck his prophet finger in his face and said, Thou art the man? What did he do? He repented. There's the difference between the child of God and the child of the darkness. When light is shown to a child of the light, he responds to the light. Now you can say, well, preacher, but I know... In 1 John, it says this, they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained with us, but they left us to show they were never of us. That's in 1 John. I don't want to make, I told you last week, I don't want to make this a comfortable place for you to go to hell from. I want us to be careful about our own lives. Well, here's what I want you to take home today. Man, I've said a lot. I'm going to give you this. Rest sermon's actually shorter. What we were, we are not any longer. And what we are has no connection to what we were. We are not an improved version of what we were. What we were is dead and gone. And now we put aside the deeds of darkness that still attach themselves to us. We put that aside and we walk as children of the light. And what we are to be in Christ has no connection to what we were in Satan's kingdom. Let me show you this in these verses. First of all, there's a contrast between were and are in verse 8. Did you notice that? Verse 8 says, for you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now, I'm using the SV, and it gets it right. Some of, some of your versions may say you were in darkness, and now you are in light, but there's two things I want you to see about the word were, and two things I want you to see about the word are. Two things about the word were, first of all, it's past tense. It's a condition that does not exist any longer. You were in darkness. It is not okay, and I know we say it, and I've said it, and I've said it recently, and I know better, but I am not a sinner. I was a sinner. Now I am a saint. 
I were darkness. But that brings me to the second thing I need to say so you understand what I'm saying. There's no modifier on that word in the Greek language. If there's a modifier, it means it is a, it is part of, it's a thing that you can point to. When it does not modify it, it means that is the nature of it, that is it together. And what the Bible is telling us here, that you were darkness. By the way, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 3, and chapter 4, verses 17 to 20, he talks about this as, as well. It's a condition, no resist, no modifiers. We were not just victims of Satan, we were contributors to darkness. And I hear this a lot. Oh, he's a good boy if he'd just come to church. No, he needs to get saved, and he's not a good boy. Because none of us are good, not even one. And we got to think this way. I wasn't sure where I was going to say this, and I didn't write the quote down, so I won't get it perfectly right. But C.S. Lewis, a great apologist of the faith, said this, You have never met a mere mortal. For we are immortal. Culture, nations, art mean nothing. Those are mere mortal. But every man is immortal, either eternally damned or eternal glory. Every individual you meet is an eternal being that's either going to spend eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. And if you don't think that way, it will affect your evangelism to the point that you think God's going to let everybody in because, after all, they're not that bad. As a, a great man who debates college campus kids, he was at Harvard debating kids about heaven. I mean, just open air does it, and they can come up. And this girl came up and said, I'm Jewish, and I don't think God, a loving God would send anybody to hell. I think everybody's going to go to heaven. And he looked at her and exclaimed, what is your name? That is wonderful. I've always wanted to meet you. What is your name? She said, I'll just say Rachel. I don't know. She said, my name's, my, my name's Rachel. He goes, Rachel, I've always wanted to meet the person that was going to spend eternity in heaven with Hitler because she was Jewish. Well, that got her attention. She jerked away and said, he won't be there. He said, oh, so you agree not everybody goes to heaven. Now we're just debating over how we get there. You following me? Everybody's not going to get there, folks. And the determining factor is not whether I'm good or not. The determining factor is whether Jesus' blood has washed away my sin. That's the only determining factor in this whole equation. And I were darkness. I used to be. But I was the, by nature darkness. I couldn't help but sin. I had no hope. I, I was a contributor to darkness. Look at verse 6 of chapter 5. We just read it last week. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. We were disobedient to God. We were lost and hopeless. But I'm glad that verse 8 doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, but now you are... Light in the Lord. And again, look at the tense. Present tense. Present tense. There's a new spiritual condition. Turn to the book just before Ephesians. The book of, I'm sorry, the book after Ephesians. Colossians. Philippians, Colossians. Two books after. I didn't do it in my head, sorry. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God's Electric Power Company. That's how you can remember that. G-E-P-C. And I was afraid if I did that, I'd lose my train of thought. But now I've done it out loud. So look here at these verses. Look at verse 13. In verse 13 of chapter 1 of Colossians, 
I've told you this before, but I want you to see the reference. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that word there has the same meaning as the word, if you like to have ever watched a Star Trek TV episode or movie, you get beamed from one place to another. And you can't be in two places at the same time. So we won't get into the theory on the show, but you disappear here and you reappear there. That's the same word. That God reached into darkness and he took you out of that kingdom and boom, put you there on that, in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of Christ. And you no longer are there, now you're here. So we are not walking in a world of darkness, overcome by darkness. We're walking in a kingdom of light in the midst of a kingdom of darkness. I know that doesn't quite make sense. It does in my head, but I'm weird. So maybe you're struggling with that. But we are no, I am not a citizen of this planet anymore. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien here. I am not at home here. There's a home to which I'm going and I long for it. But in the meantime, I've got to live here. And I've got to live like I'm already there. Here. Thy will be done in heaven as it is done on earth. He is asking, or be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Jesus told us to pray that God's kingdom and will would be done in our lives on earth just like it's done in heaven. Do you think in heaven people go, well, I'm just a sinner. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, I messed up, sorry. No, it's a perfect place, a perfect kingdom. Right? Well, guess what? You're already there. The Bible says that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are in that kingdom. You are not a part of this world. You are an alien, a stranger. You've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness. You've been placed into the kingdom of Christ. And so we ought to be different. We ought to live a different life. We are light. And just to give you a reference for that, Matthew 5, 14. Just as you were darkness and you contributed to darkness, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that we are light and we contribute to light. In 5.14, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the light of the world. He is, but aren't you supposed to be a little Jesus? Isn't that what the word Christian means? Little Jesus, little Christ, right? Right? Okay, you don't shine as bright as him, but your nature is light now. I thought we just reflected Jesus' light. Well, yeah, just like Jesus reflected the image of God, but it's the express image. It's just like him. It, there's nothing. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. We're, we're, we're shining our light in a big old basket in here, aren't we? See, God didn't intend for us to sit in here and be Christians. He intended us to go out there and be Christians. Right? My wife amen that, and everybody else just looked at me. Amen? Okay. We are light. And so, how do we live? Look at verses 9 and 10 in Ephesians 5. I, I, I promise I'm going to settle down a little bit into this. 9 and 10. For the fruit of light, and again... That is a more accurate translation, the fruit of light. Yours may say something a little different, but that is the most accurate way to say it. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right or righteous 
and true. All good refers to moral excellence. The Greek word there, and I don't tell you the Greek words because that doesn't mean anything. But that word there, all good, means a moral excellence. And it, it refers to our relationship with other people. That I show a moral excellence to other people. That, that people say, well, man, when that guy says it, you can take it to the bank. He's got a moral excellence. I trust that guy with my money. I trust that guy, you know, to do anything. I just trust him. I'd let him to... Because that shows moral excellence. That's what that word means. Second word there, it says all right or all righteousness. It is how we live in our relationship with God. In other words, do you meet with God every day? Do you follow his will? Do you even care what he says? Do you show up every day before God and say, what are the orders of the day? What do you want me to do today? What is my task now, today? What is it you want from me? Because I want to live in right relationship, and I want to walk by the Spirit in what you want. That's what that all righteousness means. And then all true, or all, uh, uh, or, or yeah, mine says true, yours may say another word. But it means honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, integrity. It's my relationship with myself. There was a great book uh, by a guy named John Elridge, and I forgot the name of the book. But in there, he says, all men are posers. And by that, he means that we all are putting on an act because we all know none of us are perfect. We get that, right? Some of y'all don't want to say that, but we, are, we all put on some bit, what of an act. But am I doing that constantly to fool people? Or when I realize I'm putting on an act, do I stop, repent before God and get that thing right? You've got to look in the mirror every morning. That's what it's saying. You need to be right with God in yourself. And really, that's where it's got to start for you. And notice what happens when you walk in the light, and that is going on when, when, uh, uh, when the, this fruit of light is found in you, then you can discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You can, you can discern what is pleasing to God. It means proving or testing we give verification we're God's children by these things. In verse 7, I mean, uh, yeah, and, and that's in verse 9. Um, that, that as we discern it, it means we can prove it, that we show it to other people what is pleasing to the Lord. That's verse 10. And then verse 11, here's the command to the soldiers in the light. Here's a command to the soldiers of the light. Don't participate in darkness. Don't participate in darkness. Just don't. I am not in any gang. I, I hear gang stuff is heating up around us. And, and people get in these gangs. I'm not in any gang. And you know what? I don't act like I'm in a gang. I don't pretend like I'm in a gang. I don't try to rob people, hurt people, do whatever people in gangs do. Because I'm not in a gang. So why do you want to participate with people who are going to hell? That's what he's saying. Stay away from it. Why do you want to get involved in that? I, 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 he may be a little controversial, but um, Kirk Cameron, who came to know the Lord uh, when he was a TV star, a Christian witness to him, and uh, you, you can study his story, and now he, he does a lot of Christian movies and stuff like that. But before everybody really knew he was a Christian and before, you know, modern time, he was going to get married to the girl that showed up on the show to play a part that told him about Christ, and he got saved, and he eventually married her. 
And, uh, and every movie since then, when he had to play somebody else's husband, they put a flesh-colored band around his wedding ring because he won't take it off. But I saw him on one of the late-night shows, Jay Leno, David Letterman, or something, way back in the day. It's 20, 30 years ago, so don't judge me. Um, and, and he said, so, you know, you, you got married. Yeah, yeah, I did. What was your bachelor party like? He says, well, it was my dad and my brothers, and we went out to eat, and we talked about me getting married. And he went, didn't you party? He went, no. You know, and didn't you hire entertainment? No. He said, why would I ruin my relationship to the woman that I love and want to give my life to for the rest of my life by being foolish like that? And it just shocked that guy. He didn't know what to say. I don't, I don't remember who it was. And I was going, yeah, yeah, he, he's, he's a Christian. That's what it is. He said, why should I participate in deeds of darkness? He didn't quote the Bible, but that's... Now, I'm not saying don't, don't hang around people that are lost, because then you couldn't witness to them. In fact, Paul tells us that in Corinthians. He says, you've got to be around them, but you don't have to participate with them. Don't have anything to do with darkness. In 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world, uh, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Don't even eat with such a one. In other words, here's what the Bible's telling us. You better get around lost people and show them the light of Christ, but don't participate with them. But when a brother's caught up in that, he's got to feel the pain of separation. When we used to discipline our children, and we did do that uh, physically, and we disciplined them over things that they did intentionally, knowing they shouldn't. And so we would take them in a room, explain what they did, and we would explain what was about to happen. And then we would leave them in the room after the discipline for two reasons. One, so they could gather themselves and not be embarrassed when they came out. We wasn't our intention to embarrass anybody. But my wife would tell them, we'll come back and get you. And then she would leave them to think about, we'd leave them to think about what had just happened. The pain of separation. And then, of course, we went back in. We hugged them, loved them, let them know that it wasn't we threw them away. It was just discipline. The Bible prescribes that for the church. When someone is in gross sin, to say, you're not part of us if you're living like that. You're participating in the world of darkness, and God's called you to better. I told you last week, I didn't write it. I just deliver it. I'm just a paper boy. And so he says, he goes on to say, so expose that darkness. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. In other words, that doesn't mean go tell everybody that you found out somebody's in sin. That would be horrible. That would be wrong. Then you'd be a gossip. You'd be sinning. It says, you go and you go alone. And if he listens to, them, to you, great. You gained a brother. They, they, they've repented. Everything's great. But if they don't, then take someone with you. Take two or three with you. Take one or two others along with you that every charge might be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Say, listen, man, I came to you. You wouldn't listen. I, I got some other brothers here. We love you. We want to restore you. Point of all discipline is restoration. We want to restore that broken relationship with our children because they had disobeyed their parents. They had acted in rebellion toward their parents, and we wanted to restore their relationship to us. 
That took discipline, and then it took love and acceptance on our part. The church is called to discipline, but it's called discipline for the point of restoration, to bring them back into fellowship so that they may experience that full fellowship. And then he says in Matthew 18, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and refuse to listen to the church, let him be as a Gentile tax collector. So there's a progression. It doesn't mean somebody's caught in sin, everybody just goes, well, forget you. It means that you'd make at least four steps in trying to restore that person back to wholeness and wellness and repentance. I won't go on about that. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you become a gossip. That's not what expose it means. It means expose it to the person and then take those steps if needed. Because it says it's shameful even speak about what they do in secret. But look at verse 13. If anything's exposed to the light, it becomes visible. We were headed to San Antonio early in the morning, first flight out. So we had to be at the airport at 5, and it was still crazy because all the first planes leave at the same time. You think you're going to get out early, but it takes longer because everybody goes at one time. So there was five minutes to take off. I'm a diabetic. I wear an insulin pump. Sets off the machine every time, even though it's mostly plastic. They always have to chat. So I'm a diabetic. I got a pump. I told you before I came through here. Here it is. Okay, sir. Let's so they warn me, okay, you're fine. And I hear my daughter's voice behind me say, it's his. And she paused because she almost claimed it for herself. Because the guy had opened my bag after it went through the x-ray machine and said, whose bag is this? And I heard her say, it's his. And I said, it's mine, sir. What can I help you with? And he picked up a baggie of 380 bullets. He said, what are you doing carrying a bag of bullets through here? Well, somebody gave them to me as a gift. I threw them in the bag, forgot they were in there. And as it went through the x-ray machine, it was shown. That's what this verse is talking about. Are you willing to let God's light x-ray your life? Because I can hide it from you. I can put it inside the bag and you'll never see it. But the x-ray machine exposed it. It was lying, my bag of bullets was lying next to a book entitled Islamic Imperialism, but, <laughs> and that's a true story. In my mind, I was getting cavity searches, but I got through that in five minutes, believe it or not. But the Christian's not afraid to get on God's conveyor belt and let his x-ray machine check his life. That's what it means. Look at the call to those in darkness, verse 14. But when anything's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. If today you realize you're in darkness, Christ will shine his light on you. And when Christ shines his light on you, it changes your life. When you as a Christian realize that there's a part of your life that's not up to what God wants it to be, and you say, God, instead of trying to hide this from everybody, remember what David said? When I tried to hide my sin, it consumed me. But when I confessed and forsook it, it brought life. And you bring out that ugliness to the light. I like to clean the house with the lights off because then you can't tell. <laughs> but man, when they flip that light on, oh, you missed the spot. Yeah. Right? And by being exposed into God's light, whew, God, I didn't notice that. And here it is. And you called me for better. I am not, a, I'm not in the kingdom of darkness. I don't want this in my life. It's yours. I, I repent of it. Lord, I know I did this, and I, I'm not going to play games. I know what it is. I t 
confess that to you, but there on the cross, I see you dying and your blood being shed to wash this away as you promised in 1 John. And so, God, I give it to you. And I, I, I don't, I'm not like that. I'm yours. I'm supposed to act like you. So refresh me and fill me and restore me to the joy of my salvation and make me once again a light to the world. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not crying because you messed up. Repentance is saying, that's bad, God's good, I want to get rid of that, and I want to follow God. Don't ever repent over your sin, repent toward the cross. Never kiss your sin goodbye. It'll grab you. Just run, like I said last week. Run away from your sin, run to Christ on the cross, and find there his forgiveness. There's a man that died in the mid-80s. He was a songwriter and he was a prophet to my generation. His name was Keith Green, and he wrote a song called Asleep in the Light, and here's what it says. Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? You're going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes, pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. It's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds, and he cares for your needs, and you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see a such sin? Because he's brought people to your door, and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace, and all heaven just weeps. Because Jesus came to your door, and you left him out in the street. Open up, open up, give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cry, so how can you delay? God is calling, and you're the one. But like Jonah, you run. He told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see it such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, and you, you can't even get out of bed. Come on. Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. How can you be so numb? Not to care if they come. You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Friend, job's not done. There's lost people. And as long, Vance Havner said, when all of God's white sheep are dirty gray, it makes the black sheep feel better. God's called us to holiness and righteousness and goodness. Not perfection. He'll perfect us in heaven. But to following Christ to the best of our ability. And when we mess up, and here's the deal, we need to be willing to let people not be perfect and to love them and pray with them and help them because newsflash, you're not perfect either. And if you want them to forgive you, you got to forgive them. you got to help them. and you got to encourage them and bring them to that point. But listen, if somebody's in willful disobedience, the Bible's very clear here in Ephesians and other places. you got to go, that's sin, and I'm not going to call it anything else. And until someone's willing to admit what I've done is sin or I'm doing and repent, then we've got an obligation not to change on that. But I don't know where you are this morning. Some of you sitting here, you're lost. You don't know Christ. And maybe God, the Holy Spirit, is... Revealed to your heart today. Inside you're going, I know that I need something. I know I am not good enough for heaven. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've sinned. 
And I need Jesus to take away my sin because you've never come to Jesus and opened your life to him. Then today's your day. This is great news, man. Today, you can bring all that mess to God and give it to him, and the blood of Christ will wash away the penalty of that sin, and he'll begin to restore your life. That's what he's about. Maybe you're a Christian here today, and you say, hey, I've been dabbling some stuff. Nobody knows about it but me, but I shouldn't be doing it. There's some other things people don't know, or I did something once, and I've never repented of it. Maybe you stole somebody's pencil in second grade. You say, oh, that's silly. That was a long time ago. Then why do you still remember it? You need to go back to wherever God reveals it to you and repent there and say, God, here's, here's, this is what it looks like now, but this is where it started, and I want to give that to you. And I, from that point, from the day I turned away from God and towards sin, I want to repent there. And I pray that, as it says in the Bible, that you'll make up the years the locusts have eaten. And God can make, turn your life into something glorious.